the Ruach HaKadosh, the, which is the Hebrew term for, uh, for the Holy Spirit or Spirit of God, is, is a significant part of Israel's story. Yeah, it leaves uh, the temple when they go to exile with them in Babylon. I, beyond even that, well, like it's just... Yeah. No, no, I was, that, that's just one example from the text that came to mind while you were talking about that. So, so this is important because we kind of shape this up to be um, like this is a new thing. Hello, and welcome to Evander Bros, your weekly podcast about biblical literacy, discipleship, and historical slash cultural context. I'm your co-host, George Benson. I'm your other co-host, Don Shiver. And you said that very confidently, that weekly podcast. Like, you know? Um, like each week now, we can, we can get more confident with that. I, I, it's like the snowball that you start at the top of a hill that loses control, but gains oh, momentum and, and, and mass. Thank I, uh, July. <laughs> yeah that's true thank goodness it is um I, I don't know i guess like with getting a little bit ahead of the curb with everything and and like i'm starting to feel more confident about this and also you know i guess fake it till you make it right i've been told that a lot i just want to know how much longer i mean yesterday was my 46th birthday i've been faking it for 46 flipping years i'm, I'm wondering when i make it I, you know, maybe just don't know. Mm. But anyway, uh, so there are two episodes in your feed this morning, dear listener. Uh, one is this one, which is for when which we will discuss Acts 1 as a field guide to overthrowing empire and oppression. But the second one is a mini episode that uh, we're going to be putting out along with these episodes every week. Basically, what's going to happen is... Um, if you hadn't had time to read the, the text or like Don said last week, you're driving and it's not safe for you to, <laughs> to open up your phone and read. Um, we wanted to provide a, a, a copy of it for you. Uh, that way, you know, you're familiar going in with it. Plus it, it's fun in that, um, let's say that there's a week that you're listening to it and we don't cover something that you really like from the text. Like there's something that jumped out to you and said, why didn't you guys go over this? It seems like this would have fit so well. Um, email us about it. Definitely. Yeah. So the second episode is you reading the chapter, right? Yes. Yep. That we're going over. Yes. So um, if you haven't listened to or gone over Acts 1 yet, go ahead and pause this episode now and listen to it. It's only four minutes long. And uh, welcome back. Yes. Welcome back. <laughs> so do you just want to jump right on in? You know, George, we do a lot of jumping on this podcast. That's, I do say that a lot, don't I? You say that a lot. But hey, let's jump on in. Do you just want, <laughs> do you just want to start? <laughs> no, I want to jump in. Okay, fine. <laughs> so uh what um <laughs> all right so acts one yes uh 
teach us, oh, oh dear teacher, the way that we can use this to overthrow empire and oppression? Well, I think there's a few things, first of all, that we just need to, to look at, right? Like one, I, I don't know that many people really think about this part that Jesus shows up in the book of Acts. Like Jesus is, is mentioned in the book of Acts as, uh, you know, it, it, this is right before his ascension. It, it talks about the ascension. And I think it's, what's interesting is the connection that we see with, uh, with Jesus being here, Jesus ascending. And we have things like the cloud, um, we have things that are quoting, seemingly quoting Daniel seven, um, and, uh, and talking about, uh, the son of man. So there's just some things here that are important callbacks to Exodus type imagery, such as the cloud. There's things that are, uh, important for us to understand with Daniel, who is in Babylonian exile, um, and the promise of a savior or or messiah-esque language in some of his things talking about the son of man coming on a cloud um we also have the two witnesses or the two men that show up in white that are like hey why are you standing here looking up at the sky and you know we just had two men in white uh not to be confused with men in black but uh two men in white that uh were in the tomb uh, when the apostles came looking for uh, Jesus. Uh, and so we have these witnesses. I also think what's really important uh, and powerful, and I don't know if I mentioned this last episode or not, but that word witness is martyr. Yeah, I think we, we went over a little bit at the end of the episode. Yeah, and I think that that's, also something really important for us to keep in mind as we're reading through this text is that we aren't called and the apostles aren't and the people that are convinced that Jesus is this messianic figure. We're not called to just tell about Jesus. We're called to tell about Jesus with the ends possibly being death by empire right? Like you need to prepare yourself to be a martyr. And that's what a witness was. A witness wasn't just that you shared the good news on a street corner by handing out a chick tract, right? But instead it was that you were literally as a witness taking up your cross uh, and following Jesus. And that's some really powerful things to begin this text with, right? Is it are these layers, yeah, um, especially since, you know, it, 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 it definitely kind of draws a line and this is no longer, it's kind of a weird way to say this, but it's definitely defining that we are past the concept of the Gospels, as in um, the idea of just sitting around and talking about the teachings of, of Jesus. And, you know, the stakes have risen because... Jesus was killed. Right. So. And, and I want to like that, that wording has become so familiar. I, I really want us to use something much stronger than that. Like Jesus was murdered or Jesus was lynched. Right. Because sure. 
I feel like within the Christian church and the Christian conversation, mentioning Jesus as being crucified or Jesus being uh, killed is almost has almost become a, a neutral statement. Right? Well, it's kind like of it's, like, I'm sorry, go ahead. I'm sorry. I was just going to say, it's kind of like how last week um, when we were talking about the uh, Jesus overcoming death, the language that I use, um, how that's kind of been neutered in a way. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, any, any language that we become extremely familiar with, even if we were to pause and really think about the, you know, that Jesus was just killed, it doesn't lose its meaning when we pause long enough, but that's, that language is so familiar to us that we don't pause. Right. I think that when we say something like Jesus was lynched using David Cohn's, Dr. Cohn's, not David, Dr. Cohn's, uh, is it David? Wow. James. Now, James, thank you. Uh, using Dr. Cohn's language of the cross and comparing the cross with the lynching tree, I think is really, really helpful, right? Because it kind of shocks us into recognizing what just took place. Uh, people in power took someone who they thought was less than them as Romans and murdered them uh, for no good reason. Uh, and so it's this lynching. Uh, yeah, I mean, and not only murdered, but you know, beat and all that really nasty stuff that is associated with just the concept of lynching. Yeah. Yeah. Again, I recommend all of our readers check out James Cone's book, The Cross and the Lynching Tree. Yes. So when you read through this, George, when you recorded the the chapter, what what were some things to you that were significant in this section? Um, I guess one of the things that always kind of jumps out, uh, just because of my own kind of weird history, is the um, line in uh, in in verse five that John baptized with water, and the uh, the disciples apostles will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Um, I don't know why that seemed to be so resonant with now, or at least kind of give myself pause. It, it, we were talking online or offline before we started recording how uh, there are some people I know that are saying that God's speaking directly to them about how things are going right now uh, in, in the world and politically. And it's just like the, um, the weird history I have with uh, the more charismatic movements of mm -hmm. the Christian church, uh, you know, are, are, are birthed out of Acts 2, which we'll get to next week. But the language kind of starts here, and it's just, um, I don't know, this, this week it just kind of, like I, I read that line, or I got to the end of that, that line, and I just kind of sat with it more than I normally would. Right. Well, so what do you think, what do you think that means? Honestly, I still don't know. I mean, I know we, and I don't want to uh, jump the shark and go straight into Acts 2, um, but I know we've talked about that in the past. If you listen to our Easter episodes, we've talked about the, the flames of tongue and, or tongues of flame and speak, God speaking in thunder and the re-giving of Torah. 
mm-hmm. but I guess I like I've I don't know how to reconcile those two things. Just because I've sat so long with this idea of um, God will come baptize or the Spirit will will baptize you and 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 what my um, what I'm so used to with that meaning, which is an individual receiving the spirit and speaking in tongues in the, in the charismatic tradition. And that's how you know that you're air quote saved. Right. So I, I guess I have no good, that, that's it that I have no good concept for it. And so like every now and again, when I read through this, I just uh, kind of sit on that and don't know what to do with it. So I just move on. So when Israel would hear this idea of the Holy spirit being upon someone, what do you imagine they perceive? Like, like I think today when we talk about the Holy Spirit being upon someone, we picture something more charismatic, right? We more Pentecostal, in the in the sense of like, um, and if you're Pentecostal or charismatic, maybe that's not what you picture. Someone being outside that tradition—that's what I imagine, right? Like if someone says, "Oh, the Holy Spirit was upon them." Um, I, I picture like someone in a more charismatic setting. Um, what do you think Israel perceived? The so when you asked that, that the that thing that the jumped thing out jumped. immediately immediately was if we're talking about or if we're framing Acts as um, kind of a new Exodus or Deuteronomy, mm-hmm. whatever um, the this the i can't remember if it was the spirit or like just just the the presence moving through egypt the night before they fled and killing the firstborn okay i don't know why that came to me but that's that's i guess that's what pops out yeah i i think that one of the one of the things that's significant that christendom has done that's a great disservice to both Judaism and the scriptures is almost make like the Holy Spirit not part of the story until Acts 2, which is weird because the Holy Spirit's been throughout the entire Bible, um, whether it's upon David or we read about it in the Psalms, right? That the Ruach HaKadosh, the, which is the Hebrew term for uh for the Holy Spirit or the Spirit of God is, is a significant part of Israel's story. Yeah, it leaves uh, the temple when they go to exile with them in Babylon. I, beyond even that, well, like it's just... Yeah. Okay. No, no, I was, that, that's just one example from the text that, that came to mind while you were talking about that. So, so this is important because we kind of shape this up to be um, like, this is a new thing. Like Acts two or the book of Acts is the giving of the Holy spirit for the first time. And it's not, it it just isn't like, it just is not according to scripture. The first time people have experienced the Holy spirit or the spirit of God. So, when Israel thinks about the spirit of God, they, I would argue, and I think 
many scholars, Jewish scholars particularly, would agree with me, uh, or I would agree with them, is that um, the, the, the notion of the Spirit of God is God's empowering movement in an, in an, in an individual right? So it's the power of God being worked out through a person. Um, so David, when David has, uh, is doing something in the spirit of God, that means David is doing God's work in that moment. And so when we are baptized with water, we are what? Clean on the outside. So there's a couple of different So there's, there's a few things, right? And this is where, again, Christendom has done a disservice, is that we have a singular concept of baptism, but baptism had a multiplicity of expressions in ancient Israel. Um, you had the ritual cleansing. You had one of repentance, right? Ritual cleansing is not necessarily repentance. It's just ritual purity. Uh, because you came in contact with things that made you unclean or you, whatever it might be. And so it's about, it's about moving from unclean to ritually pure. Uh, again, Christendom has confused unclean with sin and that is not true. Um, and then you have baptism for, uh, repentance, which is to say that you are recognizing that uh, the way that you have lived is not in accordance with the way God has called you to live. And so you are approaching God and asking God to cleanse you. To And so this is the baptism, it's seemingly, that John the Baptist was offering, uh, one of repentance. Uh, and then there was a proselyte baptism, which said that the river, the living water, because again, all baptisms were done in living water, which means the water was entering and exiting whatever it was, whatever space they were being baptized in, uh, which was to separate it from uh, a cistern, which would just be collected water. The great, great irony is here we are uh, X number of years later, and 90% of our baptisms in the Christian church are done in cisterns uh, that we have built into our sanctuaries. Um and so you have that cleansing, the, the taking of, and the whole point is, is that it takes whatever it is that you were uh, participating in, whether it's a repentance or it's uncleanliness, and it washes it away. Like it takes it downstream, right? That's why you don't want to bathe downstream from animals being in the water because all their shit comes down uh, the river at you, right? And so you don't want to bathe downstream from someone being baptized either. Um, and so this is, this is significant. And then we also have proselyte baptism and a proselyte baptism. The water represents, uh, the womb and the uterus and the flowing of, of, of life. And so you are taking, taken into the water as a non descendant of Abraham and you are baptized and put back in the birth canal, so to speak, and then brought out of the birth canal as now a child of Abraham and therefore a member of the family of God. You were born again. Yes, which is a Jewish term, which was in Jewish writings prior to Christendom, but Christendom uh, co-opted that term. And so now Judaism has dropped it. 
they're like, and we're out. We're not using that language anymore. Rightfully so. And so this whole picture of baptism with water is about one thing. If so, we take that collective and we hold that here, right? Uh, and then if we were to take what I said about uh, being having the Holy Spirit, right, where you are uh, the Holy Spirit or the Spirit of God is the empowering of God uh, or the power of God in your life uh, moving you forward, what would you imagine is meant then using all the imagery for what the water does, right? What is the purpose of the water? Now, if it's saying, but now there's someone who will baptize you in the Holy Spirit. What do you, what, what kind of starts to come out of that? Um, I mean, I think the language you used of moving forward in what God, in, in the work that God is saying to do, like you're, you're moving forward in what you will be doing will be coming from the collectiveness of God. Yeah. And how is that different than what Israel perceived prior? Why is it important that John the Baptist announces that though I baptize with water, there's one coming that will baptize with fire and the Holy Spirit. And uh, like, what, what is meant in that? Like, what do you think the people were like the 3000 that get baptized in the next chapter? Did they think they were getting baptized in water or did they think they were getting baptized in the Holy Spirit? And depending on which one they thought, what did they perceive was about to happen? Um, I have no, I've, I've, I don't know. I mean, I guess like, you know, if you hear that the spirit of God is going to move in, in a people, you want to be a part of it. In, sorry, my, my brain is working faster than my mouth right now. Um, <clears throat> so like, uh, the, the idea of, of this, this new baptism, um, with knowing the history of, of ancient Judaism and being present with the spirit, knowing that the spirit leaves places and moves with its people. Um, I guess I would have been scared shitless. Okay. Just because, <clears throat> uh, the idea of mass people groups being baptized with the spirit or the spirit moving in that, um, you know, I brought up the, the Jeremiah passage of, of the spirit leaving the temple. I immediately think of exile, but it's the opposite of exile in, in a lot of ways. Um, you know, they're, while they're, they move to different parts of the world to, to spread what is going on. Um, couple that with the idea of the type of witness you're supposed to be. Mm hmm that would be terrifying. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, potentially terrifying, but also what is, what is the Holy Spirit referred to as? What's the nickname given uh, by Jesus? Uh, the Father? Nope. Nope. Um, Comforter. Oh. Comforter. Yeah, that the Comforter will come. And so this is the giving of the Holy Spirit is, is calling the, the Holy Spirit the comforter. 
So, so what, so this dynamic is really interesting, right? Yeah, it is. I, um, I don't recall the, the comforter being, being a word to describe, at least in the, in the version of the text I read. So that like, Oh no, no, it's not in Acts. Jesus doesn't say that in Acts. Oh. I think Jesus says it in Luke or maybe John, or I'm just going to name all the gospels until one of them is probably correct. That's fair. Um, I mean, adding comforter to it, it definitely brings a different tone. Yeah. John 14, 26. All right, let's see. Uh, but the comforter, which is the Holy Ghost. Oh, okay. Well, that's fun. Um, it, so in, so, what, what, so which translation is that, that you're reading out of? Because in the NIV it says, but the advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, <clears throat> will teach you all the things and remind you of everything I have said to you. Uh, I was referencing just out of memory. Uh, and then when I Googled it real quick, the, the, the one the, I saw was the, the King James version. Yeah. Well, still though, like advocate comforter. Um, yeah, that, I mean, I guess that would be a, a little less scary. <laughs> right. <laughs> like, you know, it's, uh, you know, this, this, uh, new baptism that you're going to receive is going to be different than what you've ever experienced, but you know, won't be all bad for everyone. I suppose. So when, when we think about this as being a field guide for overthrowing empire, the being baptized in the Holy spirit or the empowering of God which should comfort us, which acts as an advocate on our behalf, which acts as a helper, depending on the translation and the choice of words there. All of these things, um, you know, un unfortunately what comes to my mind is the difference between water and Red Bull, right? Like that, you know, you're baptized in water, yeah, it cures thirst for a short time, or you get Red Bull and it gives you wings type thing. Right? Like, <laughs> yeah. This, yeah. this notion that this was going to be empowering, that this wasn't about, uh, this wasn't about uh, just ritual purity or repentance, or even about being a part of the family of God. This was about inherit inheriting the power of God right? That this was, this was you taking on in some way, the character, the essence, the, uh, the actual strengths. And I'm, I'm saying strengths, because I'm talking about traits, not as in you become metaphysically supernatural strength, right? But that you take on the strengths of God. And that in those in those actions, uh, you're empowered and it's going to help you 
to take this to the corners of the world. It's going to help you. Like this is the moment in this empowering moment in Acts two that we're alluding to now, where the people become empowered. The 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 oppressed become empowered by God. Uh, this is beautiful, right? Like they're talking right now. They're scared. Jesus was just lynched. Um, they're in, they're in Jerusalem. All the people are gathering because it's an Ascension festival coming up for, uh, Shavuot. And so all these people are flooding into the city and they, they're terrified. And Jesus is like, okay, calm down because what's about to happen is not going to be a threat to you. It's going to be that it, there's going to be an empowering that the, you'll be baptized by the Holy spirit. Right. And so this whole picture of, uh, I, I want to say it differently, but I can't find a different way to say it. And I don't want to keep beating this horse, but just this empowering of the people um, that it's not about Jesus. Right. You don't need a singular Messiah, so to speak, right? And I'm not talking about that in a religious sense of, you know, having more than one Jesus. I'm just talking about like that Jesus is killed. Mm -hmm. Jesus has ascended. Your general is not gone, so to speak. And, uh, but instead, when you go to Jerusalem and wait there, there will come a moment in which all of Israel be, has the opportunity to become empowered. And this is so interesting, right? Like imagine if the church still functioned in a manner that everyone in the church participated in the empowering experience of what God has called Christianity or God has called the faithful to do. Well, that would be fantastic if, if we, if we were still participating in a faith that was about ending oppression and ending poverty and ending marginalization and ending all these things, it would be extraordinarily powerful to have the, I, I think billions of people that profess faith in a Judeo Christian sense, uh, or even Abrahamic religions, uh, to all of a sudden lock arms, to end those things. Um, but instead we behave like we've been baptized with water, not the Holy spirit. And maybe we have. Shit. That's a lie. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah. Oh man. And I think, I think it's true. I think we behave like we've been baptized with water, right? I, I'm ritually pure. I'm good. Uh, I, I repented. I've been, yeah. I'm now a child of God. Uh, and Jesus is my Teflon. Nothing sticks. I'm done. Yeah. I'm good. Well, I'm, yeah. I mean, I guess that's when like this, the, the way that you just framed all of that um, definitely points out the difference in a, um, singular focused 
like an inward focused faith and an outward collective community focused faith, which is, I mean, honestly, which is what Christianity, most of Christianity has turned into like that, that singular focus. Yes. Yeah. Thank you. White Christianity has turned into that singular focused inward focused. Um, I've been saved how can I keep on the right side of God because we still view it as punitive instead of this opening up this, this, this experiencing or baptism in the spirit when you recognize that everything is actually larger than you and the teachings of Jesus push you or should push you in a way that says, I have found an injustice. I need to speak out against it no matter the cost to myself. Which yeah. is not, I mean, I, you know, I was sharing with you something that happened uh, earlier in the week uh, for me and where I was kind of, I not pushing a similar situation, but I had the opportunity to um, participate in something like that. And it is friggin' terrifying. Yeah. But I mean, yeah, yeah, I, yeah, yeah. Well, you know, within white Western Christianity, there has been only, so in Judaism, there's this concept of 160th, right? Um, That like sleeping is 160th of death. And like, they just, they have a list of these things that, in our experience, our day-to-day living, that it's a 60th of this fuller experience, right? Um, And I think Western white Christianity experiences 160th of faithfulness, (laughs) right? Because we've not been marginalized. And if we have, it's just just a smidge, right? Like just a smidge, nothing that you can call like prosecute or not prosecution, but persecution or anything like that. And I get that if you're a woman, you've experienced it differently than if you're a man, if you're queer, you've experienced it differently than if you're straight. If, if you're, if you have just any kind of disabilities, uh, you've experienced it different than able-bodied people. So we each have probably at some level, whether it be education, gender, whatever it might be medicinal, we've, we have these touches of experiencing being marginalized. But just in our whiteness, we occupy the center. And you yeah. might you might find yourself on the edge of the center, but you're still in the center. And I think that that's significant because we then read all of the Bible and all of these passages as spiritual claims as opposed to physical proclamations, right? Like most of us don't spend time pondering the fact that Jesus was physically resurrected, right? As opposed to spiritually resurrected. He was physically resurrected because that was important that he had a physicalness, that his resurrection was expressed in physicality. When most of our religious expression is all spiritual, in the white church. And I think it's why a lot of times when white 
people attend a, a black church or a, a minority church in another country. Uh, you know, we experience uh, churches outside of our white privilege. We go, wow, that was a really powerful spirit, uh, powerful experience. And it was very moving. It was so different. And I, it, there was just an energy there. And I would argue because their faith, their expression and understanding of God is coming out of, of a physicality that ours is missing. Yeah. Right. And I realize I'm speaking in broad terms and some of you listening might go, Oh no, there's a physicality in the way I understand. And I'm glad. And I hope that's true. But I think that when we read this, that this passage acts does not give us permission to carry on as normal in just saying prayers and handing a $5 bill to the occasional person that we meet asking for some money or that we do a couple, you know, spiritually masturbatorial type things, but that we are supposed to be empowered by God to end violence and oppression and uh, marginalization and, and confront empire. Well, that becomes a really uncomfortable thing when we realize that the thing that gives us privilege that puts us in the center is the very empire that the Bible is calling us to destroy. Yeah. So you're destroying the very thing that has centered you. And let me tell you, I don't think most white Christians are actually interested in that. And so we want it to remain spiritual instead of physical. And I'm going to tell you right now, George, that going through the book of Acts, it is going to show us again and again and again and again and again that that is an embarrassment to our faith that we only speak in terms of spiritual ascent instead of the physicality of uh, a lion laying down with a lamb and a baby playing over a viper's nest. That is what the messianic era is supposed to bring. And guess what? It would, if we actually believed we were empowered by God and we were willing to give up the center by destroying empire that marginalizes, uses, manipulates, oppresses, and kills the people that aren't centered. So you're telling me that if we actually aligned our believe and our behave, things would change. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Although I think, first of all, some people need to change their believe. Oh. Because... You know, whether, man, yeah, I just, there's so many dark, angry places my mind wants to go in condemning what we've done to the Bible um, and what we've done to Christianity. Like, it's a whitewashed tomb. Oh, yeah. Our, our churches look pretty on the outside, but inside they're dead. Because people are literally 
that are Christians, white Christianity in the U.S., are people just waiting to die and move on to a better place. Yes. And it should instead be that we are being equipped to turn the now into a better place for all people. Yeah, I mean, I guess, you know, I, I complete, obviously, I completely agree with you. Um, and then this is why I've always kind of shirked at the conversation of um, what does the kingdom of heaven look like on earth? And that language seems to be so important in the gospels. Yeah. Well, yeah. And, and we, is it usurps the power of the kingdom of Caesar. Absolutely. And so when we get to that in acts and we, we are embodied and emboldened with this, um, lack of a better word mandate to bring the kingdom here, um, on earth as it is in heaven, that we just continue to focus on, the uh, semantics of it in modern white Christianity. Yeah, absolutely. Well, listen to verse eight in chapter one. Uh, I'm reading from the NRSV. Okay. And listen to how this changes now based on the short conversation we had. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses slash martyrs in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Hmm. Right? Like, and, and that's when, that's Jesus's peace out message. Right? Because the very next verse is, when he said this, he, take, he's, he ascends. Yeah. And it's not like he's speaking to a group of people that don't understand what discipleship looks like either. Like, this isn't a quick job. This isn't meant to be long and well, he's not even talking about discipleship here sure but but last week we talked about how that filters in with the great commission absolutely yes and I so so tying those two together absolutely yeah i mean by doing discipleship right like i would hope george what you experienced in discipleship with me is that we unleashed a better George rather than we unleashed a mini Don. Yeah. Right. And that's the thing that's so important here is that discipleship is about unleashing power that people have already and oftentimes suppressed within themselves through guilt and shame and misunderstanding and lies about who they are and that if we disciple people well and we teach them the ways that god right the whole teach a child in the ways of god and they won't uh they won't stray yeah listen that's more powerful when we think about it in terms of if you teach children or disciples or people in the ways in which god sees the world engages the world and uh encounters the world they will never stray from that because that is the best and most beautiful way. It's not because, you know, they're afraid of the rod. It's not because like, you know, it's not teaching them morality. 
in the sense of don't swear, don't listen to secular music, don't blah, 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 whatever. Don't dance uh, with someone, right? But instead it's talking about marginalization. It's talking about the dangers of empire. It's talking about caring for the poor and the mar marginalized, all those things. And about decentering power. And that becomes extremely different. Yeah, it does. I mean, it, um, it, yeah, no, I've got nothing to add to that. It does. I mean, and when we, no, go ahead, go ahead. I was just thinking that like, when we realize that a lot of the gospel message is Caesar is not Lord, right? We want to make the gospel message. Jesus is Lord perfectly fine. But if we don't have it in context of, and therefore Caesar is not, we make it spiritual. Jesus is Lord and Trump is not. Caesar is, or Jesus is Lord and X is not. Jesus is Lord and X is not. And it, we just keep doing that. And we need to say that I am faithful to the way of Jesus, not to the way of this. Um, and to say that Jesus is Lord and therefore Caesar is not is way, in my opinion, way more of an impactful concept than Jesus is Lord, period. Yeah, I mean, I, that's... I mean, one of the things we talk about on here is historical context. So when you read through the gospel of Mark and it says Jesus is Lord, not understanding the potential death sentence that is because you're yeah. claiming the divinity of somebody who is not in power, it loses its edge. Yep. Um, <laughs> sorry, everybody, that was our timer. Um, so before before we wrap this up, uh, I do want to bring up one thing uh, it, towards the end of the chapter, and that's that Judas Iscariot, who is who the the death is retold in in this first chapter, is replaced by Matthias. So yes. I love how in in that it's just like, hey, what do we want to do? Well, let's just draw lots and see who's going to be the next one. Yeah. I mean, because they were both worthy. Yeah. And it wasn't about, and honestly, I wouldn't be surprised if between the two of them, they were hoping that they wouldn't be the one. Yeah. I don't think anybody wants to replace a dead man. Not only do you not want to replace a dead man, you, you now become on the front lines. You move, you have been moved out of the, the back row and put in the front row where Caesar is going to be gunning for you. That might be anachronistic. Caesar is spearing for you. Yeah, Caesar um, is sorting for you. Um, but like that notion, like there's part of me that goes, no one volunteered. So they had to name the, re the requirements. Yeah. And then, and then say, well, whoever gets the short straw, right? Um, we make it a positive. And it might have been. I, I mean, don't get me wrong. I think Matthias was honored that 
that they were chosen and all that stuff. But in the same sense, like this wasn't like uh, prom, right? Like they're not, they don't get to sit on the back of a chariot and, and do the wrist wave as they go through the football stadium. Um, like, Might've been another stadium. Uh, no. that we're in. Uh, and, but like, you see what I'm saying? Like, yeah, like this is, yeah. I, I wonder if, you know, Matthias was like, you know, shaking his fist at God while thanking God for the honor. Yeah, absolutely. Well, um, I think that that's a, a good spot to wrap up. Uh, don't forget. Shaking your fist at God. Yeah, shaking our fist and being thankful at God. Yes. Um, that, uh, that describes most of my, my, my Christian life. Oh, yeah. Um, well, we are on Patreon, Instagram, uh, Facebook, Twitter, at Evangel Bros. I uh, just uploaded some of uh, Don's old teachings for the uh, monthly content for Patreon. So if you're a listener and haven't checked that out yet, um, check it out. And uh, Can I add something with Patreon real quick? Yeah. You know, we're a, we're a lo-fi operation. Um, we don't have very many expenses. That being said, um, you know, even a dollar or something like that from a listener is really helpful to us to, to pay for the different, like, I don't know if people realize that, you know, there's costs for, uh, a lot of the sites that we use to distribute our podcast and they're minimal, but they are costs. And so even a dollar is helpful to us. So, um, you know, we're not looking to, you know, this to become a career, uh, tomorrow. But, yeah. um, but just to help us cover some. So if you appreciate the content, if you, if you find that some of the stuff that we're sharing has in some way enriched you, uh, we just, we'd be honored if you uh, consider giving a dollar to, uh, to our Patreon account to help us offset some of the costs of, of just our software that we use. Yeah, so, I, and eventually uh, we'll hopefully look to upgrade some of the stuff and you know, it just depends on what happens. So uh, yeah, and we're extremely thankful for those of you who uh, already do support us. And Absolutely. I uh, couldn't do it without you for a lot of this. So, um, but yeah, if you've, uh, if you, if we didn't cover anything that you wanted covered or have a question on, you know, always uh, check us out on our social media at Evangel Bros and then uh, email us adventurebros at gmail.com there was actually quite a there was a handful of really interesting uh posts uh about our overview last week on acts so go check those out on our facebook page and engage there and i thank the people that uh posted some of their thoughts and stuff from the episode yeah it was pretty great uh well i have been your co-host george i've been your other co-host don have a great week everyone bye